1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7 says that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus. I want to start with that because of the message that I have for you today. Uh, about two and a half months or so ago, I, I delivered a, a word to you about this year, 2022. And I prayed towards about September, October of 21 and asked the Lord if he would share with me something about 2022. And I believe with all my heart, he led me to Genesis chapter 22, as well as Psalms chapter 22, keeping with that same theme. Now, I'm a person that studied numbers in the Bible for many years. I don't believe that we are to live by them, but I believe they're indicators, if I could say it that way. They're indicators, the numbers, like the number one, the number two, number three in scripture and so on, um, have prophetic meaning within them. Um, just like a word of prophecy someone may give you, there's no more sure word than the word of God, the Bible, but many times those words come to us and they confirm what God's put in our hearts or they've confirmed the word of God. I believe numbers have the same value. And in fact, God wrote a book called the book of numbers, you know, so he's, he's definitely keeping track of those things. And, um, and so when I went to Genesis chapter two, this is what I read after these things, uh, God tested Abraham, that, that one phrase tested stood out to me. And I felt that God was saying to me that in 2022, that it was going to be the year of the test and that people didn't want to hear that because they felt like they've already been through so many testing, but you're, you're not understanding what that word actually means test. You're thinking it's going to, it's still, it's still going to be troubles. And that's not what a test is. What I found out through God's word is the test that he's speaking of is the test that he's already prepared you for. So, you know, he is considered the teacher. Amen. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. Um, when God spoke to Abraham and told him to go to Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son in Genesis chapter 22, Moriah means the Lord our teacher. And so he, the teacher is, is giving us a test, not a test that is a pop quiz that we're unprepared for, but one the teacher has been teaching us. And last uh, Thursday night online, we went live online last Thursday, and um, it hit me so hard right then and there that sometimes a teacher will give you an open book exams, what they call it, open book, and you can actually go to your, your textbook and look up the answers because the teacher is not as much concerned about tricking you as much as he wants you to get the information, understand what you're actually being tested on. That's the kind of test that our Father God gives us. It's not to trick us. It's not to trip us up. It's not to give us troubles and woes. It's so that we'll pass it and we'll understand the information that he's trying to give us. Does anybody hear what I'm trying to say? And then we found out in, in Psalm chapter 22, the same is true, that it's a prophetic picture of Jesus. In fact, who, the one who wrote it was David. It was a song. And in the song, he says, my God, my God, why, has you, why have you forsaken me? Uh, they have stretched me out. They can see all my bones. In other words, they've pierced me, the Bible says. So it's a picture of Jesus, the Messiah, going to the cross, the ultimate testing of who Jesus was. In fact, he was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is what he would become, and he passes the test. So I believe that God is showing us that this year has everything to do with two, has everything to do with two different things. Because what is the, what is the ultimate test here? 
And I believe the Lord showed me according to his word, not my own opinion, but that the ultimate test is trust. It's trust. It's faith and trust in him beyond the things that we see in the natural world. Because when you start looking at the natural world, it gets discouraging and depressing very, very fast. And so the title of my message this morning is Faith to Remove the Barriers. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, not for the test, but the fact that you've encouraged us, you've taught us, you've prepared us, Lord God, for such a time as this. And that this is a good moment in time, even though it may look like it's the opposite in the natural world. But Lord God, in the spirit, you have prepared us for this moment, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord, that your spirit is strong upon us today, reminding us of who we are and that we have nothing to be afraid of for truly the opposite of faith is fear. And we will not be ruled by fear for you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We're not gonna lose our minds, Lord God. You've got us for this and we trust you in it. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody that believed it said amen. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says this. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial. Everybody say fiery trial. Don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Church, don't live in the why is this happening to me stage the rest of your life. Because when you live in that stage, you'll always think it's not fair. Something's not fair. Why is this happening to me? Here we go again. This is not where you're supposed to be. You have to understand there's something beautiful that's going to come out of what's happening. There is a message in the mess, and there's a testimony in the test. Somebody say amen. And I want to make this statement this morning. This will help you and get it in your spirit. It's a revelation. The trial is the training. Whatever trial you are in is the training you are to receive. Quit trying to pray it away. Hallelujah. God did not lead you away from it. He led you to it. There's scripture on this all over the place, but let's just take the one that we know for sure. The Bible says that as soon as Jesus came out of the river Jordan, being baptized of his cousin John, John the Baptist, the Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord led him into the wilderness to be tested by the devil. Y'all want to just scratch that out of your Bible, but it's right there in the scriptures. So sometimes the next, and by the way, but when he came out 40 days later out of that trial and that, that testing and temptation, the Bible said he went in the power of the spirit and his ministry began. If you want the next level of your life to begin, you can't pray away the test. You got to go through the test, pass the test. Look at your neighbor and just say, pass the test. It's not for your harm. It's for your good. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you six barriers to remove in your life in order to succeed. And all of us, you say, well, that's, we're talking about success, you know, but, but is that what God wants for us? Absolutely. Everything about God is successful. We just sang the song, you heard it. God's never lost. He doesn't lose battles. He doesn't lose situations. It may look delayed at times, but God, this God is a winning God and wins at everything. I don't care what it is, God, and whatever God says, it happens. He's not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should repent. Whatever he says, the Bible says it's like the water that falls from the cloud and hits the ground and does not go back into the cloud. It does what it's supposed to do. This God is a successful God. He wants his people to be successful in life. 
And so I want to help us today because I found six, in my opinion, this is what, I'm just going to give you some things that I go through in my own life. And the top one that I found, the number one thing removing of the barrier we have to do to have success is we got to remove, number one, distractions. Distractions have got to go out of our lives. I've noticed that, that when people get under pressure, they get more distracted. Why? They don't want to deal with the issues. So they can't bury their head, but they go play their video game. Y'all don't want to talk about that. They all binge on Netflix. Anything to take me, get me out of the pressure zone. But that's not what God wants. He wants us to remove distractions. And look what it says in Luke and Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, actually, in verse 22. Jesus said this, church. He said, the lamp of the body is the eye. Is therefore, it says, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The word good there means single or focused. Okay? So if your eye, not your eyes, but if your eye is single, if it's focused, your whole body will be full of light. In other words, staying focused brings light. And we're living in so much darkness and peril all around us. We need light to come on the situation. And when we're not, we're not doing what God's requiring of us and we get distracted, we're not in our word, we're not in prayer, we're not in the house of God, we're not do, being obedient to what he asks us to do, we're not, we're not fulfilling our potential, we're not, we're not going after the dream or the vision God's given us, the destiny that we have. When we're not doing those things, we're now not focused, we're distracted. And what happens? We start moving in darkness. And the Bible talks about the people in the dark, they grope in the dark because they don't know what to do or where to go. If we turn the lights off in this room right now, it would be, I'm talking about all the lights, the exit signs, everything. It would be very dark in here because there's no outside light, right? And it would be very difficult for people. People actually would begin to panic. Some would because they can't see, right? And I believe people live in panic all the time because they don't know what to do. They think they're going to wake up tomorrow, it's going to be better, and they don't know, it doesn't get better. Because they're so distracted from what God actually has said or wants to do. And therefore, they can't see the light. They can't put one foot in front of the other. I'm reminded of how David, the Bible says it was a time of the kings to go out to war and to do battle. And of course, his kingdom was in, it was in war. And the Bible says he stayed back. He did not go on the front lines like he would, was accustomed to doing. And he, he, for whatever reason, we don't know the reason, but we do know what happened. Out of that distraction, the Bible says that he saw a woman bathing on top of her house. I love the Bible because the Bible just tells the truth. It don't try to make King David look good or anybody look good. It just tells on all the time, just tattletaling. I love it. And said that David looked down and saw a woman bathing and he lusted after her. It wasn't just any woman. It was his chief captain. It was his wife. And he was in battle. And he called her to himself. And he was selfish, and he laid with her. The Bible says she became pregnant, and they tried to hide the pregnancy, and the, and the story goes, and brought this man back to lay with her so that he would think it was his child, and it, he wouldn't do it because he protected his king overnight instead of going in with her, and how can I be with my wife in pleasure when my, my soldiers are out there dying in the field for your honor, king, so I thought I'd just go ahead and stay overnight at your palace to protect your doorway. He was honorable. He was doing the right thing, and yet here King David, he, now he doesn't know what to do, so he has pressure put on him to go into the heat of battle, knowing he would be killed. 
so he could take Bathsheba, his wife, and claim the victory and have, be able to have this child. You talk about wicked. This is wicked. And the Bible talks about how he, he, he knew what he did and he lamented and he repented and all that kind of stuff. But my point is, is that this, this all happened. That, that child ends up dying in the story, by the way. It all happens because he got off of focus. He was no longer single-minded or single-eyed. Instead, he was, he was living in a place where he wanted in a place of pleasure and distraction. And it came as a big, big price to him. Number two. Number two is you have to remove double-mindedness. And that word means two minds. It's having two minds. One day you're all gung-ho for the Lord and do what he's asked you to do. The next day, I don't know. I'm tired. I just, you know, I'll get to it when I get to it. You're double-minded. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's hard to do, y'all. When you fall into a trial, it's difficult to do, but the Bible says you're supposed to count it a joy. Why? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be what? Perfect and complete, lacking no thing or nothing. If, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask how? In faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay? Statement. If you are double-minded in your life, then your life will be out of order. Okay, I, I have to go quicker today because I'm out of time. But let me just say this, okay? A lot I want to say about this, but I'm going to say this. If you are double-minded, your life is out of order. And we know that anything that's out of order cannot work. So when you go to the pop machine, sorry, I'm from Illinois, the soda machine, you go to the soda machine, soda, soda machine, and you go there, and it's, it has a, y'all didn't even like that. You hate me for saying that, but I just decided to say it. Uh, <laughs> you have to love me, amen. And it has a sign on there that says, out of order. It says, out of order. What does that mean? It doesn't work, correct? Why, is it, why, why doesn't it work? Because it's out of order. So watch this. So if you put money in that machine, what's gonna happen? Nothing. It might take your, it could take your money, right? But you're not gonna receive the product. So in other words, watch this. Nobody will ever invest in you if your life is out of order. Let that sink in for a little bit. And we have to understand that people can see that there's no production of product in our life. And we, when there's no fruit in our life, they don't want to invest in us. And we feel, why aren't people investing in who I am? Why? Because they see something's out of order. They don't know what it is. But something's wrong here. Why? It comes from somebody who is double-minded. One day they're for it, the next day they're not. Uh, one day they're, they, they're, they're going to they're gonna change the world, the next day they, 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 they feel like they, they don't even know who they are anymore. That stuff has got to stop in the body of Christ. Again, we got to get back to what? Being single-minded and single-eyed. One focus. Amen. Number three, you have to remove, and forgive me for moving faster, but I have to. Number three, you have to remove the discontented people in your life. 
I didn't say stop loving them. No, 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 never. I didn't say quit on them. No, I did not say that. I didn't say stop praying for them or being there for them. That's not what I'm saying. We're for everybody. Somebody say amen. Amen. But I'm talking about the people that you associate with on a day-to-day basis, weekly basis, are part of your circle of, of fellowship or influence in your life. Discontented people, people who are never happy, never satisfied, always complaining, always negative, never got a nice or kind thing to say about nothing or nobody, and you're still hanging with them and wonder why you got a bad attitude all the time. I've learned that misery loves company. I said, I've learned that misery loves company. It's calling everybody up all the time. Misery, misery can be very congenial. They love, to, they love to hang out with people. They just got a terrible attitude, but they want to be around people all the time because they're like pig pen. Remember pig pen? And we'd be dancing around, and what did he have? He had like this cloud around him of dirt, and everywhere he went, everybody got caught up in the cloud. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some pig pen people in your life that are discontented. Somebody say amen. That are now affecting you and the people around you. Church, you have to learn to discern who is connected to you and your future and who is not. Cut it out. Somebody say amen. There's some people you got to just cut the cord, let it go. I love you, I'll be there for you, but we can't hang out like this anymore. First Galatians 5, 7, you ran well. He's, he's, he's chastising them here. You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion, because that's what happened. That's, a, that's like, a, like a spell came on you. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Watch this. He says, a little leaven, that's yeast, leavens the whole lump. Once the yeast goes into the dough, you can't get it back out. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind. But get back to that single-mindedness. But he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. In other words, who influenced you to get off course? Who influenced, who persuaded you with whatever was around them to take you out of your destiny? Think about where some of you, now this message is not maybe for everybody right here, but some of you were doing just fine 12 months ago, 24 months ago, but who got around you and took you off course? 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Amen. And say, this hard, Pastor. That's not very Christian to cut people in your life. Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. You don't, look, okay, where do we get the word for Christian from? Christ. And the Christ said what? He said, if we don't find fruit on you, well, here's what we're going to do to you. We're going to take your branch, cut it off, and throw it into the fire. And if we come back next time, we don't find the tree that has any fruit on it at all, take the whole tree down, throw it into the fire. Y'all, Jesus was tough. <laughs> Amen. Why is he saying that? He's saying because I realize and recognize people that have no fruit in their life that gets on you and now all of a sudden you become fruitless. You become the company you keep. I was thinking about this. I told the story before, but I had a, a cousin that's he's with the Lord now. And, um, and uh, he's funny, great guy. You love hanging out with him. I always made you feel good. He's funny. But man alive, he didn't, he, everybody, everybody he came in contact, he would talk about them behind their back. 
And he'd do it in a funny way, you know? And so he, would, he was off, he was like laid off. And so he ended up showing my, my office. This is back when I was working for my dad. And he showed up in my office. And so he'd sit down, have a cup of coffee, start talking to me. And he'd say, did you see so-and-so? I mean, he'd just start going to town on somebody. And at first I was kind of uncomfortable with it. I changed the subject. But he's so funny and so quick. He'd say little witty things that are true. And he'd go, that's just funny. And he'd laugh at it. But by the end of the week of him coming every single day, I hated everybody in my church. I didn't want to show up on Sunday. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. And I'm thinking, why am I so mad at these people? Why am I so mad? Oh, I know why I'm so mad at these people. That spirit that he's got jumped off on me. He's mad at them, and now I'm mad at him because he's mad at him, but I don't remember what he's even mad about, and I certainly don't know why I'm mad. We're just mad. Why? It's a spirit. It's a spirit. You get around evil people, evil stuff, it will seduce you. Next thing you know, you start thinking just like they think. But maybe I'm talking to the person in this room that you're the person. Let's just stay right here. Number four, moving right along. Hallelujah. You have to remove, number, number four, distrust. You've got to remove distrust. This is the year to do it. This is the year. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Easier said than done, but absolutely can be done. Especially you that have been self-made it's very difficult because uh, you know what you can do with your hands. You know what you can do with your mind. You know, I, no one ever gave me nothing. I can just, I'm just, it's difficult for you to do that, but you have to with God. Maybe not with people, but you have to at least with God. Trust in him and don't lean upon your own abilities. Church, it's in the fire that we've got to trust God with all our hearts. It's when we're in the the fiery trial we talked about. It's in the testing period that we have to learn to trust him. The three Hebrews, they told the king because they wouldn't bow. And he said, we're going to throw you into that fiery furnace. And this is what they said. Our God will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, we will trust the Lord. Do you have that kind of faith? That even if God does not take you out of the fire, that you have to go in the fire, but you know that if I have to go in the fire, I'll trust him that I will not burn. I know that he will take care of me. Of course, we know what happened with them. They were thrown into the fire. God did not deliver them from the fire. He delivered them in the fire because the only things that got burned were the things that were binding them because they had bound them head to toe. And there was a fourth one in the fire. Three men they threw in, but they looked and said, there's a fourth one, and he looks like the Son of God. Jesus is with us in the fire. In Job chapter 13, it says, Job said these words after being so sick and, and down, though he slay me, yet shall I trust him. You're not going to get me to back down in a weak moment. You're not going to shame me and put me down. I'm not going to let go of this God. I'm hanging on with all I got. Psalms 112 verse 7. He will, he will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Proverbs 28, 25. He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. Psalms 28, 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him. And I am helped. 
Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song, I will praise him. The best praise I've ever had in my life are in moments that I'm caught in the fire. It's like I got hell burning all around me, but I'm still going to trust God, and I'm still going to by faith step out and give him a sacrifice of praise, not because of what I'm going through, but because he's still worthy. He's still worthy. That's what Paul and Silas did when they were put in the prison in the inner stocks, the Bible says. They were there in prison with no hope. What did they do? All they did was preach the gospel. All they ever did was do what God asked them to do. But instead of being blessed, it looked like they were being cursed. They were put in a prison and they were locked down. But the Bible says that late in the midnight hour that Paul and Silas stood up, that everybody could hear them and begin to praise their God. And when they praised their God, the Bible says the earth begin to shake and the only thing that got shook was not them but the very things that bound them down you want to break the change in your life learn to praise God in a time when everything looks opposite of what God promised you learn to praise God in a time when the fire of hell is licking all around you and it looks like all hope has failed that's the time you praise your God Late in the midnight hour. They say that's the darkest part of the day. I said they say that's the darkest part in the midnight hour. But we're going to trust this God anyways. What he promised, he'll never back down from. What he said, he'll always do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why are you preaching that so hard, Pastor? I need to hear it. We all need to hear it. Number five, you have to remove desperation as a barrier in your life. Not talking about the desperation you have for, the God, for God and for the things of God. No, no, that's a wonderful, that's a passion. Talking about the desperation you have in moments you feel desperate and you do things you would normally otherwise not do. What, what stirs up desperation? Fear. Fear will motivate you in the wrong direction. Amen. But we live in a time right now where if you listen to the news, which I say be delivered from the news and find some freedom. I'm not saying don't know some things, but, you know, 10 minutes you can know quite a bit. <laughs> you don't need to spend 10 hours in the news and getting updates on your phone all day long. And I, I don't care what you listen to. It's all, they all got to pay their bills. And crisis sells, crisis sells. Are you hearing me? We all pay attention when there's crisis. And so there's so much that is out there right now that is, that is, that is bad. And it can get you to a place of fear. Where now you're, you're making decisions based on fear. Well, what's going to happen if we don't have enough food? There'll be enough food, folks. Listen to me. There'll be enough. You know, I, told, I said on Thursday... Um, I said on Thursday uh, broadcast, I said, I didn't mean to be mean, but I, I, people complain about the shelves being kind of bare at times. And it really isn't. You'll hear of a shelf here and there. But my point is, I said, welcome to the rest of the world, America. Welcome. You just had it so good for so long. You don't know what it's like to live like the rest of the world lives. More than two-thirds of the rest of the world lives in object, object poverty. You're so blessed. You don't feel good, you walk down to Walgreens and there's a Walgreens in every corner now. 
and you just get something for something, but what's ailing you, you just go do it. They don't get to do that. They got to find herbs and some other stuff to make it happen if they got something. My point to you is this, is that we got to trust God. At some point, we Americans have to learn to trust God. And maybe God is doing, I, used, I had a big, years ago, I, I would do a sermon, maybe I need to bring it back, and we build a big uh, nest, massive. And we put it up high, and I, I climb in from the back, and I preach from this nest. We call it the eagle's nest. It's massive, I'm talking about this high and all around me. And, and, and the, the, the gist of that message is that, is that the, the e- eagle knows that in order to get her eaglets to fly, she's got to She's got to begin to stir that nest up. She gets in and starts, she starts going nuts, nuts, and flapping her wings. And the chicks are going, well, no, well, well, eaglets are going crazy. And she starts pulling all the comfortable stuff out of the nest to make it so that the sticks are uncomfortable to lay in and sit in. And then she'll take them by their nap and put them on top of the edge of the nest and starts nudging them to go off. The, oh, mama, mama, no. You know, that's what they're doing, right? Why? Because she knows there's an eagle inside of them that knows instinctively how to fly. But, but fear keeps them nestled in the nest. And they would be that way the rest of their life unless the mother stirred things up. What if God's allowing some of this to be stirred up in our lives? Yeah, we get a little, we get a little fearful. We get a little, but he knows there's greatness on the inside of us. And we'll never know the potential of who we are till we've been pushed to the edge. Amen. By the way, Getting into bad relationships. Sometimes that's a thing of desperation with people. And I'll tell you, I'm talking about, I'm talking about boyfriend, girlfriend, those, I'm talking about that kind of stuff. And, 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 and I don't want to hear that you're married if you're not married. Don't, don't be calling her wifey. Don't be calling her wifey till she, she got a ring on her finger. Be, be what Beyonce said. Put a, ring, put a ring on it. Is that what she said? Put a, put a ring on it. I mean, that's the only good advice you're ever going to get from Beyonce right there, but that's it. (laughs) Amen. Ladies, you hold the cards. You hold the cards. You got the power. You can negotiate a great deal if you want one. You got it all. You remember that. You have it all. So my point is don't sell out so short all the time. Put a ring on it. And that don't mean you're married either until you sign them papers and do it publicly and, and have a preacher bless it and, and do it the right way. Pastor, you're just old-fashioned. No, I'm, I'm biblical. I'm doing what the Bible says. I'm just trying to do what the Bible says. Am I right about this? And so people get desperate and they, get, they start getting a little bit older and they start thinking, oh, no, I got to find somebody quick. Some of y'all in the church right now, not because you love my preaching. You, you, you scoping the place out. You lonely. You say, I got to find somebody. Church got to have somebody in there. We're trying to get you salvation. And you got galvation. <laughs> because <laughs> people answer the altar call just so they get next to somebody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How are you doing? Be careful because, because the Bible says in desperation, Abraham was getting older, and in desperation, they decided, he and his wife decided to let's, let you lay with Hagar and have a child. And, then, and, and, and she did, and she had a baby called him Ishmael, right? 
You know, Ishmael still is today, right? That's the Muslim countries to this day. That's the, that's the Muslim world right now. That are what? Fighting with Isaac, who is Israel to this day. They're still at war with one another because of somebody's desperation. Amen. Desperation is really a sign that we lack faith. Amen. I got to keep going here. Number six. You have to remove, and I, and I say this lastly, dishonor. And I'm going to go quick with this one. It's going to go fast. Dishonor. We live in a culture that does not know how to honor those who are uh, above them. Um, a parent, a grandparent, your pastors, um, your wife, your husband, your children. Because we live in a culture of, I want, to get, I want people to kiss the ring. I want people to respect me. And that's true. We all like that. We don't always get that. But I can tell you, the more that you show honor to others, the more others will begin to honor you. It'll never be less. It'll always be more. Honor elevates. Dishonor deteriorates. Honor elevates Dishonor deteriorates. We have scriptural references of this where Absalom was the son of King David. He showed no honor to his father but wanted to steal the kingdom from his father, look for opportunity, begin to kiss the babies and hug the necks and tell everybody, look, you don't have to go talk to the king about your problem. Come to me. I'll solve your problems for you. He's busy making it look like the king didn't care and that he cared about them. And he began, the Bible says he stole the hearts of Israel to himself. But you see, God saw that. He saw the dishonor that was going on. And as a result of that, the Bible says, and again, it's a great story. You can look it up for yourself and read. It's wonderful. It's powerful. And how the Bible says that Absalom had this beautiful hair, long flowing hair, and that he was riding for his life because he heard that Joab, the king's captain, was coming to kill him as a result of his dishonor. And he rode for his life, and Joab was chasing him, <clears throat> chasing him. And he went through a, a grove of trees and his hair was flowing and his hair caught up in the trees and literally took him off his horse. And now he's, his hair is ratted up in the tree and he's hanging there by his hair. And hair could be uh, looked at as pride, your pride, your glory. And he was hanging now from his pride and Joab takes his life right there, then and there. My point is, again, honor will elevate you Dishonor will deteriorate you or bring you down. David, on the other hand, when he took uh, Saul's kingdom, he honored Saul. He didn't do anything to hurt Saul. He had opportunity to kill Saul, the Bible says, and he wouldn't do it. And his men said, take the, ch he's trying to kill you, David. You have, you have self-defense rights here. And you're the rightful king after all. He says, how can I touch the Lord's anointed? That's not my job. I'm not doing it. I'm trusting God. And of course, we know that Saul died. Jonathan, his son, died. And there was one left by the name of Mephibosheth. And so David asked, is there anyone in the kingdom of Saul's house that, that is left? And they said, yes, we, we know there's a young man by the name of Mephibosheth. He's crippled. And he's hiding out in a cave. He's afraid that you're going to kill him because he's the rightful heir. He said, I'm not going to kill him. He said, they said you're not? They, they expected him to. That's what you did in those days. He said, no. He said, bring him to me. I'm going to have a covenant with him. 
And as long as he wants to be in my life, he'll have a seat at my table. I'm going to honor his father, my relationship and covenant that I made with Jonathan. I'll honor that. I'm going to honor what I honor with his father, and therefore, it'll save his life. And that's exactly what took place. You never go wrong with honoring. If you've got a parent that has done you wrong, and we all could say something about our parents, and my kids could say something about me too, but some of you had it really rough. I'm telling you, listen to what I'm telling you. Don't just let this go by you. Forgive them, let it go, and that will show them honor. They could be dead and gone, but you still harbor that. You're not doing any good. You're actually destroying your own life. But when you honor, show honor in spite of what's been done to you just because of the position of who they were that gave you life in this world, God sees that and he will honor you and he will elevate you and promote you in your life. <laughs> 